Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter 2. All right, so we have talked about the church of Ephesus and the church of Smyrna. And uh, let me just give you a quick uh, review of those two churches. The church of Ephesus was a church that mechanically was doing everything correct. The only fault with that church was the Lord Jesus said, you have left your first love. And by the way, God knows when our heart is drifting before the world does. Or I should say, before other Christians would even notice, the Lord can tell. And that'll always be a problem with our heart in this world. We have to anchor ourselves in Christ deliberately. And so, uh, as we consider these seven churches, I mentioned they are seven literal churches. I believe each one of them got all of the letters, though they had one that was specifically written to them. But not only are they seven literal churches, there's something distinctively different about all seven of these churches as these letters pertain to something different in each church. Also, I'm of the opinion they represent church time periods during the history of the church. Now, this is something I won't argue with anybody about, but it... uh, I, am, I love history in my familiar, familiarity with history. I can, see, I can see the progression and I can see why there are commentators who believe this. Uh, Schofield teaches this if you have a Schofield Bible. And I don't agree with everything Schofield says, but I do agree with a lot. And so <clears throat> consider this. There had been persecution in the, from the very beginning But the church of Ephesus, representing that first church after the apostles, or at the end of the apostolic age, and what we find their struggle with is their heart is drifting. The second church, we see there is suffering. Uh, This this church will go through, there'll be a lot of bloodshed uh, during this time period. And then something happens around 300 A.D. There's a man by the name of Constantine who, com- who becomes emperor of Rome. And while preparing for battle, he looks up in the sky. This is the legend. This is what uh, the decline and fall of the Roman Empire, even Gibbons, who's not a Christian, mentioned about Constantine. He testified that he saw this cross in the sky. And as a result... Uh, he believed that was, that was a, a message for him to become a Christian. Now, whether he, re- he was ever really converted, uh, we won't know until we get to glory. And I, I have my doubts. But either way, he took that as a sign, and he made everybody, he made everybody become a Christian. Well, you don't make people become Christians, now do you? So he made them become Christians by so-called baptism. And at that time, it was still immersion. That's the way that was biblical baptism. And he revised their shields and put the cross on their shields. And so from that point on, you had the the Roman uh, emperor emphasizing Christianity, and it became a blend. So... Ephesus, the church that had left its first love, Smyrna, the church of suffering, but now we come to Pergamos, which is the worldly church, the church of compromise, the church that blended with the state. And so if you're able to stand, let's read uh, verse 12 to verse 17. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges, I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. Now if we stopped there, we'd say, wow, that's the church that's going after it. That's all that was written. We'd think, man, that's... But that's not all. Verse 14, but I have a few things against thee, 
Because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh, will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. Tonight we're going to go through each scripture, each verse that we just read. We're going to take a little bit of time and uh, try to give clarity to each passage of scripture, and when we're all done, it should come together pretty well. This was a, <coughs> this was a uh, letter that I really wanted to spend a little more detail on because for me, this one and Thyatira, there's a lot brought up that I feel like even an average Christian who's not, who may not be familiar with this, you'd read it and you'd have questions. You'd read it and I don't know what that means. Maybe I'm being naive and you are all theologians, okay? But for those of us that are not, We're going to go to this, and we're going to dig it out and try to simplify it. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, bless the service. May the Spirit of God be the teacher tonight. Lord, may you take your word, and I pray you take me as a mouthpiece to teach, to preach the passages and the principles that need to be emphasized. I pray, Father, that your Holy Ghost would minister to everyone here as though the message is for them personally. May we walk away not just with an understanding of the context, but with an understanding of the application for our lives personally. And I pray that it would bring you glory and honor. We're thankful for the young man that made a decision for you this morning. We're thankful to hear about Lee's uh, brother-in-law getting saved. I'm not sure if it's brother-in-law, but the gentleman getting saved just before he died. We're thankful to hear about those who made decisions in Japan as well. We pray, Lord, that you'd continue to work in our presence. Help us to honor you in all that we do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I didn't prepare a handout. I know some of you like the handouts, and if you'd like the notes when I'm done, I'll give it to you. Make copies. Uh, We do have a lot of ground to cover, so I want to jump right into this here. Once again, let's uh, start at verse 12, into the angel of the church in Pergamos. The word Pergamos means fortified, fortified. Write, these things saith he which hath the sharp, hath the, let me read it again. These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. Well, we know who that is. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And once again, the Lord Jesus introduces himself differently to every church. There's a reason in his introduction that he introduces himself the way he does. Here he says, I am he that has the sharp two-edged sword. He's getting ready to prepare them for something that's going to call for a divide or separation. Uh, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus would make the statement, I come to bring a sword. Some of you may be familiar with that passage. He said, I come to bring a sword and not peace. And he was talking about there's a time for separation amongst God's people. Do you understand that? There should be a distinction between the people of God and those who are unsaved. All right. So that's the introduction. Now we come to verse 13. We see this uh, compliment And anybody that has ever taken speech, or at least uh, um, I'd imagine they teach this in high school as well, there's such a thing as persuasive speaking. And in so doing, you always compliment first. And we find that to be the case in all of these letters. The Lord gives the compliments first. He says, I know thy works. 
and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. Now, let me pause there and say this. Satan's seat literally refers to his throne, to his throne. The devil is not omnipotent, nor omniscient, nor omnipresent. Only God is. You all understand those three words? All right, some of you may not, but he's not everywhere. He can't do everything, and he is limited in his knowledge. But on the same token, he knows more than you and I. He's got more access to knowledge than you and I, and he can move quicker than we can. So, <clears throat> though he, we're no match for him, he's no match for Jesus. And what I find uh, fascinating and actually exciting about the Church of Pergamos and, is that this church was established right at the throne of Satan. Now, you know what Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 18? Some of you may remember the passage. The Lord had asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? And then Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus responded and said, and thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my what? And the what will not prevail against it? The gates of hell will not prevail against it. That was a promise from the Lord. And so Pergamos, when Pergamos started, I mean, there they are. They, this assembly of believers right there at the, at the throne, at the seat of Satan, where Satan's uh, capital is, so to speak, his home base. And right there, there's a church that is growing, that is thriving. People are getting saved, okay? I think that's awesome. They're, where, they're reaching people. They're attacking. They're going after people with the gospel. And so we continue to read verse 13. I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name. Now, is that a compliment? Two of you said yes. Okay, it is a compliment. And hast, not, and hast not denied my faith. Now, the distinction there in, in regards to uh, the name and the faith, often when we read the word, like, earnestly contend for the faith, it has reference to the Bible doctrine. Okay, the whole Bible. And so, uh, these are good things. Even in those days, now speaking past tense, where an intimate, Antipas, now this is an interesting character because you won't find his name anywhere else in the Bible. And there's not a lot said about him when it comes to even the commentators. I'd like to do a, just a sermon on this guy right here. Because there is a lot to be said about Antipas. He was a faithful martyr. The word martyr means witness unto death. He was a faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. And so the Lord is reminding them of their faith and reminding them of a man who would not compromise. Would not compromise. Now there are basically three names I really want to emphasize as we go through this. The name Antipas. Antipas. <clears throat> and then the name, and by the way, the the information that that I got out of his name um, I mean you'd really have to do a deep word study and I didn't have time to do that and I don't I I know the resources are available but what I found was his name means contender contender I found that fascinating Antipas but the name Antipas and that man we're going to just uh, I want to emphasize him and then Balaam you got to understand who Balaam is, what this doctrine of Balaam is, and then Nicolaitan, Nicolaitan, what is that? Who are they? What is that doctrine? Those three names, uh, I want to give you just a, a, a statement about those three. When I consider Antipas, I consider an individual, I see an individual here who, uh, <coughs> his submission to Jesus he submitted to Jesus rather than the world. He submitted to Jesus rather than the world. And by the way, uh, we're all going to be tested. And back in 2020, there were a lot of churches tested. Got to close your doors, got to close your doors. And we understood that to a degree because we didn't know exactly what was going on. We're getting this information and all that. But after a while, it got a little bit ridiculous. It got a little bit ridiculous, especially for some of those churches out in California. I mean year and a half afterward, while most churches are still going strong, they're still masked up and they still have lots of restraints on them. Well, who's controlling that? Well, government's controlling that. 
And the government was never supposed to have authority over the church. Do I have a witness? I'll say that again. The government was never supposed to have authority over the church. That's the absolute truth. Never. But let me switch it around. The church was never supposed to have authority over the government. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, I could call down a legion of angels. My kingdom is from above. You see, <clears throat> he also said, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's and unto God that which is God's. But while we're here, we, we serve another kingdom, but we represent another kingdom in this world. That's the, the way I want to present it. We are ambassadors, the Bible says. But the reality is this. Once again, the church was never supposed to have power over the government, and the government was never supposed to have power over the church. When we come to Pergamos here, you're going to start seeing the blend. You're going to start, by the way, it has to be taught before it's behaved. And we find, that's why we see the terms here. Those who, uh, who hold to the doctrine of Balaam and those who hold to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. That's a teaching. That's a dogma. When you get into Thyatira, it's no longer doctrine, man. It is, they're practicing this stuff. Okay, so... Now, we go to verse 14. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. Now, if you'll mark your Bible, I don't want you to lose your place in Revelation 2. But I want us to bounce around just a little bit. Uh, Lord willing, I can remember these verses. I did not write them all down. Numbers chapter 22. Numbers chapter 22. If you'll flip over, over to Numbers, this is where we learn about this guy named Balaam. <coughs> Numbers 22. All right. This is where Balaam is first mentioned. And when we read about Balaam, it is apparent Balaam knew who God was. He knew who God was. Now, he didn't know a whole lot about Israel, but he knew the God of Israel. And it is apparent that he had connections. He was known as a man who could pray and, and God had uh, uh, enabled him to impart wisdom and, and that. And so, because he's known amongst the heathen tribes, amongst Moab and Midian and all of that. Well, when we come to Numbers 22, Israel is marching through the land. I mean, they're not in Canaan land yet, but they are marching through the land. They're getting ready to go through Moab. And anybody who's come up against them to do battle against them has been defeated. The king of Moab is concerned. And so he realizes that manpower alone is not going to take care of Israel. We need something divine. We need a higher power. And he realizes his gods, Balak, the king of Moab, realizes his gods cannot contend with Israel. And so he calls a man by the name of Balaam. He calls for his services. He's familiar with who he is. He sends some very uh, uh, he sends some men of wealth and the men of nobility to go see Balaam. And these men go see Balaam and they tell Balaam that the king wants you. He needs your service. And so let me just read this. Verse 5. He sent messengers therefore unto Balaam, the son of Beor, uh, to Pethor, which is by the river of the land of the children of his people, to call him, saying, Behold, there's a people come out from Egypt. Behold, they cover the face of the earth, and they abide over against me. Come now, verse 6, therefore I pray thee, curse me this people. I'm not going to read the rest. You probably already browsed at it. But <clears throat> Balak, the king of Moab, knows he cannot defeat them. And so he's calling upon Balaam to curse them. Well, Balaam immediately gets a message from God, says, I can't go, and that's it. And he sounds like he's doing the right thing initially. <coughs> so these men return to Balak. They return to Balak, and Balak, the king, sends men with more wealth. He sends uh, uh, some of the uh, higher nobility, and hoping to win uh, Balaam's favor. There's a lot of bees here, and I don't want to get these names mixed up. So far, so good? Am I keeping them correct? Okay. If you start doing this, I'm, I'll wonder. So anyways, 
they go to Balaam. And they inquire, and Balaam says, I can't do it. I can't do it. But they stay the night. And the next day, what happens? The next day, Balaam gets up. And he gets ready. He, he starts waltzing with the men. He's going he's gonna to meet up with him. He's going to go see the king. Well, the story's amazing because that's the story where the donkey has more sense than the prophet. Okay? So it's really fascinating reading here in Numbers 22. Truth can be stranger than fiction. And so eventually God does give Balaam permission to go to Balak. But the whole idea behind all of this is, is why did Balaam even go? Why, why did he even try? I mean, I know what he said on a number of occasions, but what was his motive? Greed? Hello? He was being offered a lot. And really, when all is said and done, what we discover here, if you'll turn over to uh, Numbers chapter 30. Numbers chapter 30. I want to make sure I get the right one. Oh, maybe. I'm just going to flip my Bible around and hopefully I find it. <clears throat> okay. Yeah, it'd be Numbers 31, Numbers 31. So, eventually, while Balaam is with Balak, he reveals to Balak, I cannot curse them. I cannot curse them. And so, what transpires between chapter 22 and chapter 31 is the Moabites and the Midianites, since Israel cannot be cursed. Israel can be corrupted. And the Bible tells us that Balaam taught Balak that if you go down there and you intermingle with them and you fellowship with them, if they begin to commit adultery and worship your idols, their God will judge them. So Balaam was privy to that aspect of God and his people. If, if they do that, they will corrupt themselves and their God will judge them and they, they could be decimated. Now, he didn't know the final results. But what happened, that's exactly what took place. A plague broke out in Israel. As a matter of fact, Phineas, the high priest, would, have, would be part of putting a stop to it by actually murdering an adulterer in, in this. And it's an unusual story, but the lesson there is he corrupted the people of God. He couldn't curse them, but he could corrupt them. Let me see if I've got the, a verse that's close here. Verse 16, uh, Behold, these caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to commit trespass against the who? In the, in the, uh, the Lord. In the matter of Peor, and there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. So what he taught them worked. Balaam did that. Now when, there's, when we read in Second Peter, we read about the, the error of Balaam. And then in Jude, we read about the way of Balaam. But in Revel and I don't have time to get into all that. But in Revelation, we read about the doctrine of Balaam. And that is the dogma of Balaam which intended for the... Uh, now remember, where is the Pergamos church located? Satan's seat. Somebody was going to say it's in Pergamos. Well, man, you're right. You got that right. <clears throat> right next to Satan's seat. Now watch this. Did Satan martyr anybody from the church? I got one person that remembers the passage we read. Yes. Did it stifle the church? No. He could not, persecution couldn't stop the church. So what did Satan do? If he couldn't curse the church, he corrupts the church. And so now the church, what, what's he do? This is why Constantine, the historical emperor, is, is an interesting figure. Because now he legalizes Christianity. They're no longer under persecution. But on the same token, he doesn't just legalize it. He emphasizes it, makes it mandatory. And if you're a heathen, you're going, to, you're going to be executed if you don't get baptized. 
Now, is that right? That's not right. What kind of converts does that make? Real converts or artificial converts? Artificial converts, exactly. Okay, it not only made artificial converts, but this leads up to something else. Now, religious leaders gained political power. Hello? Religious leaders gained political power. And this is taking place. And in Pergamos, it's being taught. This is the way it ought to go. This doctrine of Balaam. We read the passage. Now, once again, look at the, look at the reading, verse 14. The doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to... Back to Revelation, by the way. <coughs> who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel. Now, you know what that is. We read it. To eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. By the way, the word fornication there in the Greek, that word is pornea. Does that word sound familiar? It sure does. It's where we get our word pornography from. Okay. But in its usage here, it has to do with any, uh, any, uh, I don't know any other way to say it, uh, immoral uh, sexual behavior outside of marriage. It's, the Bible says whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. And so, <clears throat> the doctrine of Balaam is a doctrine that, of compromise that justifies wrong behavior. And the church is starting to justify wrong behavior. Okay, let me give you a few thoughts here. Oh, let me say this. This statement for Balaam doctrine is submission to the world rather than the word. Anytime a church tries to justify worldly compromise, beware. Anytime a, anytime a church uh, uh, is not concerned about reverencing the worship of the Lord, beware. Where irreverence is, let me tell you something, so is worldliness. My wife told me a story about a church in just north of Indianapolis that around, no, south of Indianapolis. Okay, south of Indianapolis. We have that clarified. I can go on record safely now. And I can blame it on her if <coughs> it's wrong. A church where, a, a big mega church, where around Super Bowl Sunday, they had everybody on the platform dress up in, in uh, different football uniforms and and all of that, and I know, you say, well, I don't see anything. And they took the Bible, and they kicked the Bible out into the congregation. Well, that seems pretty irreverent to anybody who loves the Word of God. Oh, but we got lots of numbers. I wonder how many, I wonder how many of them are really saved. And so anyways... And some of you have probably visited other churches. It's like, wow, is this a rock band? Or are we worshiping the rock? Uh, I've heard some people say they went to some churches and they said, my ears actually hurt afterward. I couldn't even hear the lyrics. The bang, bang, bang was so loud. <clears throat> now, when I was in high school, uh, we, these dances, yeah, that's the way your head felt. But uh, when, I, well, when I was a child... I thought as a child and behaved as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. As Christians, ladies and gentlemen, there are some things we need to put away. And uh, listen, Paul told Timothy, you ought to know how to behave yourself in the house of God. Ecclesiastes 5.1 5, Ecclesiastes 5, says, when you step foot in the house of God, be more ready to hear than to give the answer of fools. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a right behavior in the house of God. You all know that, right? There's a proper behavior and there's an improper behavior. I mean, we all are to police it to, because our God abides in our presence and we want to honor Him. We want to be mindful that God is here. God is here. All right, I've got to move on here. Spend a lot of time on that. <clears throat> we haven't even got to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans yet. Well, let me say this also. Uh, when immoral, be, immoral behavior is being justified among Christians... I saw a billboard. I saw a billboard down in Indianapolis, and and listen, uh, it's amazing how people can use terms in the Bible and justify things. 
The big billboard had a picture of, by the way, these pictures of Jesus, I'm just not, I'm sorry, I'm just not a fan. I'm not a fan of statues of Jesus and pictures. I mean, I'm not going to argue with the people about that. I'm just not a fan. I'm not going to have it in my house. I don't know that he looked like that. That might be some hippie, hippie that some artist took a picture of and said, yeah, that's what I, I don't know about that. I, I just don't. But anyways, I'm, I'm probably meddling and all of that, a little pet peeve. But anyways, <clears throat> I just want to be safe. So, <clears throat> but the reality is this, on this billboard, it said, uh, Jesus loves transgenders. Now, wait a minute. Is that true? Yes, he loves all people. But you and I both know the motive behind the billboard, do we not? We know the motive behind that. By the way, he loved that woman that got caught in adultery too, didn't he? In John chapter 8. Remember what he said to her? Go away and sin no more. Boy, it's like they forget the rest of the story. They'll just use just enough of the Bible to justify, to justify wicked behavior. Hey, doctrine of Balaam. Doctrine of Balaam. It's already being taught. Every one of these churches, though these literal seven churches, they're no longer around, the types of these churches are still with us today. You go around this planet and you look for churches, you'll find a church of Ephesus, you'll find a church of Smyrna, a suffering church, and you'll find a Pergamos church, and you'll find a Thyatira, and you'll find a Sardis, you'll find a Philadelphia, and you'll find a Laodicean church. You'll find them, they're out here, they're all going on right now. By the time we're done with this, I hope you got a good feel of it, and the idea for us, I'm hoping we can be a Philadelphian. Philadelphian church. <coughs> Anyways, <coughs> let's get back to it. All right. <coughs> oh, mercy. I can't get into the preaching too much here. Not because I don't want to. Uh, verse 15. <coughs> so hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Now, that's interesting. The Lord emphasizes, I hate this. I hate this. And he said it to the, the church of Ephesus as well. So what on earth is the doctrine of the Nicolaitans? Here we go. It's real simple. It means to conquer the laity. Well, ladies and gentlemen, can I tell you something? The laity is the assembly of believers. It's just the assembly of believers. That's the laity. Now, I consider myself, because I'm Baptist... I think we're going to have to do a Baptist series. I think we're going to have to. <clears throat> because it'll be Bible. Uh, but because I'm, I'm, I'm part of the laity. I'm not a hierarchy. Yes, I have a responsibility. But it's a lot different than being a hierarchy. Are you with me? We're going to explain some things here. This doctrine was the teaching of a priestly hierarchy that, should con that would control the content don't miss this. It would control the content of the scripture that is taught. This doctrine is the doctrine of a priestly hierarchy that would control the content of the scripture that is taught. Oh, you don't need to read that. Let the priest tell you what it means. That's exactly, that stuff's taking place today, by the way. <clears throat> this teaching, doctrine of Nicolaitans, gave the priest authority over the scriptures. Yeah, I know the Bible says this, but these uh, priests had some strange qualifications. And by the way, turn over to 1 Peter chapter 4, First, not Peter, 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to need a few extra minutes, folks. So if you got to go, you got to go. I understand. But this is, uh, man, I, I just can't, I can't compromise and not give you this info. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Look what the Apostle Paul says to Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. You reckon doctrines of devils would be near the seat of Satan? I reckon they would. <clears throat> Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, 
and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received the thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Now, I want to po point out that forbidding to marry. So, uh, do you realize there was a denomination that got set up uh, in, under the Roman Empire? There was a denomination that was formed under the Roman Empire. It was Christian, and uh, they began to establish things. This hierarchy. And part of the priests, they had to take a vow of celibacy. You all with me? Can't marry. Forbidding to marry. Well, we just read what Paul said about that, right? Okay. Seducing spirits, doctrines of devils. Now, wait a minute. If someone doesn't want to marry, that's fine. That's, it's not going to make them not right with God. But this, this was like a mandate. Okay. <clears throat> but I'll tell you what it bred. It bred immorality. It's better, better to marry than to burn, says 1 Corinthians 7, verse 2, I think. And what happened is, and you and I know, we're not ignorant, you haven't had your head in the sand. Uh, if a man takes a vow of celibacy and he really, he really is not controlled, that appetite's going to be gratified some way. Now, I know it's awkward. But in some ways, it's in a very perverse, immoral, and even homosexual way. Don't tell me that stuff isn't taking place behind religious doors. Okay? So anyways, I know I got a little off there, but I don't think so. Because there's a whole lot of wickedness disguised as religious. There's a whole lot of evil disguised as Christianity. And you and I need to know the truth. We need to know what the scriptures say. And we need to rightly divide Truth from error. So, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans is this doctrine of a priestly hierarchy. And when they began to promote the priestly hierarchy, they were automatically demoting the priesthood of the believers. That on? You know, God's Word tells us, I believe it's in, uh, oh, 1 Peter 2.19. If it's not in 1 Peter 2.19, it's in 2 Peter 2.19. got to forgive me. Just a tad bit foggy right now. But God tells us that you and I as believers are a holy priesthood. You know what that means? Every child of God. Every child of God. It doesn't matter whether you're an usher. It doesn't matter if, if you work in the nursery. It doesn't matter if you clean the house. It doesn't matter. Hey, listen, every child of God has access to God. And can, not only has the privilege to pray uh, for themselves, but has the privilege to pray for others. Yes, indeed. Now, wait a minute. Let's talk about some things here. <clears throat> I made the statement, this doctrine of the Nicolaitans, here's the statement that I have for them. This was submission to man rather than to God. So those who bought into that doctrine learned to, learned to put their trust in the man more than the message. See? And so, listen, I understand i got to be an example. You have to be an example. I understand that I'm not negating that. But I am saying this. There are people that actually believe, okay, you got to go to a confessional booth to get your sins dissolved, cared for. And in that confessional booth, you're going to confess to a man who wears a skirt or a, something else. And you're going to tell that guy stuff that you wouldn't, tell, you wouldn't tell your wife or you wouldn't tell your husband. Let me tell you something. That confessional booth, let me tell you about the history of that confessional booth. You know how many people can be blackmailed and have been blackmailed through the confessional booth? Uh, and even if you don't, do you realize how easy it would be to blackmail somebody with a confessional booth practice? I mean, somebody honestly believes this is the way I've got to take care of my problems. I go, to the, go into that booth and I tell this guy everything I've done. I tell, him, I tell him about my thoughts and all of that. And that guy, boy, that's a lot of leverage. That's a lot of leverage to give another mortal, human, fallible, sinful man. <coughs> I mean, we're all sinners. We're all made of the same clay, but it doesn't mean we have to show our feet to everybody. You're not going to see my feet, Lord willing. So anyways, so, but I ask, where did that come from? Did that come from the Bible? Is there any place in the Bible that talks about a confessional booth? Yes, there is. Confessional booth. Okay. There's, 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 there's no place in the Bible that teaches that you and I, in order to get our sins forgiven, we must go and confess our sins to a man. 
Okay. <clears throat> Next, where did baptizing babies come from? I've read Genesis to Revelation nearly 100 times. I have not found one place where a baby has been baptized. Have you? Maybe I missed something. Well, if it's not in there, where did that come from? Well, I, Lutherans, the other denominations do. I'm just saying something here. A man made up that doctrine. Are you hearing me? A man made up that doctrine and people swallowed that pill. All right, I move on here. What about this idea of purgatory? Purgatory. I mean, the in-between place between heaven and hell. Well, I realize if you uh, add to the Word of God, you can have a purgatory. I realize that. If you add to the Word of God, you can have a purgatory. But in my Bible, there's no purgatory. My sins were purged on the cross when Jesus was crucified. I know I'm meddling, but that's all right. I'm telling you what the, telling you the truth. <coughs> Next, where did the sprinkling come from to supplement baptism? It doesn't even make sense. The very word baptism means to immerse. To immerse. It doesn't mean to get dripped on, splattered, or sprinkled. That's... that's that doesn't even mean baptism. And yet, somebody's teaching that and somebody's practicing that under the, vi- under the vise of some type of Christianity. I'm just saying, are they getting it from the Bible or are they getting it from a man? All right. I, got, I don't want to be mean. I just want you to know the truth. <coughs> just want you to know the truth. So, Doctrine of Nicolaitans. Oh, the Lord Jesus says, hey, uh, the one that has the sharp two-edged sword, I'm in your midst right now. And I want you to know that I'm privy to the fact that the doctrine of Balaam is being pushed and the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate, is being pushed. And so he comes to verse 16, he says, I got a solution. It's called repent. Repent. What's that mean? Turn. Turn away. Turn. Or else I will come, and I want you to pay close attention to this verse. Or else I will come unto thee, and will fight against them. Did you catch that? I will come unto thee and fight against them. Well, the first thing I want to point out is this. God knows the difference between the wheat and the tare. He knows if you're a goat or a sheep. I just want to be a sheep. Bad, bad. You remember that? Brother Brian, I'm calling for it next Sunday. Uh, I don't want to be a goat. Nope, nope. See? Uh, see, God knows the difference. God can tell between a counterfeit and the real thing. He knows the hearts of man. He knows the, the children of God. Hey, <clears throat> what's he say in 2 Timothy 2.19? Nevertheless, the foundation of the Lord standeth sure. The Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. The Lord knoweth them that are His. Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. The departure from iniquity doesn't make you His, but it does identify you as His. Are you hearing me? What makes you His is your faith in Jesus Christ. Now the reality is this. This church became a mixed multitude. They were, they were a mingled body of believers. Mingled body. And there were believers in the mixed. This letter is given to the church. And those who knew the truth, when they heard it, they knew their responsibility. And apparently, apparently they still had enough leverage because it was, still, it was just a doctrine being taught. We don't know if it was a doctrine being practiced. The doctrine of Balaamism, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans is being taught. By the way, what, uh, our belief affects our behavior. Our belief affects our behavior. <clears throat> and it's being taught. And there were true believers out there that understood that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. Let me say something here. We had a lady, we got a lady in our church. She was not here right now. Dear elderly lady, her and her husband come. She told me she'd been attending this Methodist church. Methodist church. Where a lesbian took over as pastor. And she said, she does these quilts, beautiful quilts, and some other stuff. Uh, I don't know what it all, cross, I don't know what it's all called. Anyways, uh, and she said, she, she said, I knew it was wrong. I knew it was wrong. And she says, I'm so glad. Some, we knocked on their door. 
She come to visit, and she says, ah, I found a home. You know, saved people can be in the wrong place. Hello? I'm just saying that <laughs> uh, this church, things had been compromised. Things were happening. But there was obviously still time to, for change because Jesus says, repent. Take charge, those of you who know the truth. Stand up and shout it if you love my Jesus. It's not a time to sit down and whisper. It's a time to stand up and shout it. He said, repent. Because if you don't, I'm going to come quickly and I'll fight against them. Now I ask you this. I was thinking about this. I like to think a little deeply. Part of me says, well, come on and whoop up on them, Lord. But you got to remember this. You see, if they didn't take care of their business in-house, then, and the Lord had to take care of it, it's going to get uncomfortable. Though he deals with the false teachers, it's going to get uncomfortable because guess who's going to get upset? Satan's seat. You see, you start getting upset at the government when the government tells you what to do and doesn't let you stand for Jesus anymore, and you start holding your ground for Jesus. Uh-oh, the government's not going to give you any leeway. Now listen, I'm not trying to be mean and oppose, but the reality is this. The day could come. It's better to obey God than man. That's reality. And you better decide now where your heart lies, where your devotion lies, where your submission lies, rather than when the test comes. Because if you wait till then, most likely you'll compromise. Long before Daniel was thrown in the lion's den, he decided he was going to go to prayer. Long before the three Hebrews were thrown in the fire, they decided we're not bowing to any uh, idolatrous image. We're not doing it. And ladies and gentlemen, I tell you, long before the trials come, you better decide. You've got to decide in your own heart. And by the way, it all starts with your devotion to Christ. Have you left your first love? That's where it starts. And we move on here. We're almost done, see? I know, we're a little bit longer. You, <coughs> you can get upset at me later. He says uh, in verse 17, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna. Let me explain this real quick. What is that hidden manna? Well, God's word is manna. When we first read about manna, we read about it in Exodus chapter 16. It was food from heaven. Food from heaven, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus interpreted for us in John chapter 6 when he said, I am that bread that came down from heaven. Now, when we consider manna, we consider it could be interpreted scripture truth. Now, this idea of hidden manna, though, hidden manna. Now, let me say this. Uh, there are things in the Bible that you and I can read on the surface. It's right there. But there are other things, maybe you've been reading it for years and years, and then all of a sudden God opens your eyes to something. You see something you hadn't seen before. Oh, there's Jesus in the life of Joseph. Oh, there's Jesus. Uh, there's Jesus in the life of Moses. Oh, there's and you begin to see things you hadn't seen before. You see, this idea of hidden man is God giving you truth that is otherwise that you'd be blinded to. <clears throat> Let me say this. A compromising Christian remains blinded to the hidden manna. A compromising Christian will remain blinded to the hidden manna, which not only reveals biblical truth, but the will of God for their life. God has a purpose for every life in this room, something that you were ordained, you were made to fulfill. Everybody in the room. Now, in a general sense, you can say, that, yeah, for the glory of God, but God has a purpose for you. But as long as there's compromise in our heart, we hinder that. Remember Abraham. Abraham is called out. He finally comes out, and then God says, by the way, Abraham, I'm glad you came out. Genesis chapter 12. Now, I'm, I'm just saying it and I'm paraphrasing in my terms. But God says to him, by the way, Abraham, I'm, I'm going to bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. <clears throat> and you're going to inherit some land. Now, these are some things he didn't know until he left. By the way, he got a new name, too. He went from Abram to Abraham. Well, how'd that come about? It didn't come about through compromise. Hello? Come out from among them and be separate, thus saith the Lord of hosts. Remember that verse? That's still in the Bible. Come out from among them. 
Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Does that mean don't associate, don't fellowship? No, it just means don't let the world influence you, my friend. <coughs> you be the influencer. You be the light. You shine for Christ, and who cares? The light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehends it not. Oh, well, shine on. Because God says, I'll give you the hidden manna, and then I'm going to give you a white stone. What is that white stone? Almost done, almost done. I know you're in a hurry. Some of you just got to get out of here because you got to see what's on TV. Anyways, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. I know none of you are like that. So uh, he says this white stone. Do you realize in the Greek and the Roman courts, a lot of times they would have a black stone and a white stone. A black stone and a white stone. And if the, <coughs> in the courts, if the individual was voted guilty, they'd put black stones out there. If he was innocent, they'd put the white stone out there. I think that's kind of cool. Well, that'd give me a little more light as to what maybe this may mean. I'm going to give you a white stone. You're going to have your name on it. It's a name that you and I are going to know. God says there's going to be an intimacy between you and me because you didn't compromise. It says, oh, I'm going to make you know I'm with you. You're not alone. Hey, Paul, though all men forsook you, I stood with you. Remember that? And when you stand up for Jesus and everybody separates themselves from you because they are a little ashamed and they don't, they don't want to be mocked or persecuted or anything like that, and you stay faithful to Christ, the Lord has a way of saying, just want you to know, I'm with you. Hey, David, what's giving you the courage to go down and fight Goliath? Because the Lord is with me. Hey, Elijah, how can you stand up to Ahab and those 400 pagan priests all by yourself? Uh, because of the Lord before whom I stand. That's how I know. And I'm here to tell you, child of God, if you walk with God and you, you obey God and, and you get to the point where you say, no, I'm not going to let compromise in my life. God's going to make himself real to you and God's going to give you the courage you need to be the person, you, the Christian he wants you to be in this world. And he's saying, Pergamus, come on now, repent. There are worldly church right now, they're letting that stuff in, but there's still time. Father, bless the message. Thank you for the Bible. <laughs> May the Holy Spirit help us, Lord God, to evaluate our own lives. Lord, as long as we live in this world, it is very easy to get filled with the world. May you help us to bail out. Help us, Lord, to keep our hearts clean. Help us, Lord, to walk diligently with you. Help us to get familiar with your word, to meditate on it, to memorize it, to use it, Lord God. Help us to be an encouragement to one another. Help us, Lord God, to have the boldness we need to witness for you. Help us to be filled with your love, the love of God. How wonderful. May you bless our invitation and minister to our hearts. We're, you do as the Lord leads as we get ready to sing. and You do as the Lord leads.